Hello, my name is Declan Deneen, welcome to Checkpoints. This is a show about video games. Each week, a guest on the show talks about the games that have shaped their lives. Games that have forged relationships, inspired them, or soothed wounds. My guest on today's show is John Robertson, and uh, John represents two firsts for the show. He's the very first stand-up comedian I've had on the show, and the very first Australian um, and you might be thinking, you know, what what is that? Why would he be coming on a, a show about video games? Because, you know, of of course, you know, Australians famously don't play video games. Um, well, no, John has a lot to do with video games. Some of you may know him as the host of Video Game Nation on on Challenge TV, uh, but perhaps more of you will be aware of the Dark Room, which is the world's first ever live action video game. Um, it's terrific. It's also it was a a big viral hit on YouTube, and you can actually go and play it right now if you want. There's a, a link in the show notes. It's exceptionally good fun. And as you can imagine from, you know, he's a stand-up comedian, so this is a, a very funny episode. Although there are some quite dramatic uh, stories of youth. Um, it, it's it's a terrific chat. I, 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 think, you're, I think you're going to really enjoy it. As always, really appreciate you uh, downloading the episode. Um, I thought I'd mention this week, since it's the, the 30th anniversary of GDC and it's just coming to an end, for anyone who's kind of come into the show a bit later or new listeners, um, I would highly recommend you check out episode 20 um, of the, the show. Um, I speak to Chris Crawford and talk about the games that shaped his life. And Chris Crawford is the, the man who founded GDC 30 years ago. The first one was in his living room. And it's a, a fascinating chat. I would encourage you to have a listen. Um, and as always, like I would really massively appreciate um people tweeting about the show or you know writing a facebook update about it or tell, even just telling a friend in real life and rating a review on itunes and uh, like if, if you like it it would be massively appreciated it really helps uh grow the audience and and um well i i would like that so thanks and and but if you do enjoy the show like honestly it would be hugely hugely uh, appreciated if you'd like to get in touch, you can email the show. It's checkpointspodcast at gmail.com. Um, and you can check us out online. It's checkpointspodcast.com or facebook.com forward slash checkpointspodcast. Or on Twitter, it's at checkpointshow because it's very important to have consistent branding. Um, you can follow me as well if you want. It's at Declan Deneen, D-E-C-L-A-N-D-I-N-E-N. Okay, enough rambling. Let's get on with uh, today's episode. It's a really good show. I think you're going to I think you're going to enjoy it. I'll be back in 2 weeks with a new episode and a new guest, but until then, on with the show. Okay. Let's right. for the, for the for the purpose of an an edit at least then, John. Yeah. Let's uh let's do a formal introduction. So, John Thank you so much for coming on the show. And if you don't mind, would you introduce yourself? Oh, absolutely. Hello, Declan. And what a, what a great pleasure it is to be with you here tonight in Glasgow, Scotland. I am uh, yeah, I'm John Robertson. I'm a stand-up comedian. I created The Dark Room, which is the world's only live-action video game. And I write and present on uh, Challenge TV's inexplicably popular video game nation. 
Uh, so yeah, that, that's that's kind. Of, that that works. That works as a self definition for this. That yeah. is no. That is a, that is a perfect definition. Um, and I didn't oh. I didn't realize the uh, the video game connection until mm. um, I, what were you on? You were on Colt Cabana's <laughs> podcast. Valiant. That was you were on the the that I was on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> And because yeah, yeah. well, I, I knew of the dark room, like because I've done I've done the fringe a bunch of times, and I knew right. I'd seen that around. I didn't even see it, yeah. obviously, because I'm a self-centered artist who just did his own show and left. Oh, yeah, um, nothing to me, mate. Nothing, nothing whatsoever. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I, I no, through, I, I was I properly so keen like on going day. to see, yeah. oh, but well, I, I just never got a chance. Well, drop in any time. You see, <laughs> this is the this is the bipolar nature of my affections. <laughs> if, you, if you don't come see me, I don't care about you. If you do come see me, I'll treat you very well. Whilst um, simultaneously screaming at you or wearing leather, given that's what happens in darkroom. Um, do you wear of, leather? Is that how you mask yourself and you create this this floating head? I think. Well, no, no. I mean, the thing is, wearing leather isn't a mask. Uh, wearing leather is more of an announcement of purpose. Uh, <laughs> No, and, and also given that I wear like I wear these leather trousers and these enormous uh, spiked knee-high boots, and then this this uh, man corset, and then this piece of armor with LEDs on it uh, that we've created out of a piece of gridiron, and then I come forth with a torch underneath my jaw. Uh, no, I mean, yeah, it, it produces, if nothing else, the sense of being um, you know tied up and beaten by a cast member from Tron. So it's pretty good. <laughs> it's every know, gamer's dream. Well, it, it's whether whether or not it's every gamer's dream. <laughs> that's none of my concern. I'm <laughs> certain that a, a brief trip through Tumblr will inform me if it is. Uh, I look. I, I I just originally I was a floating head, right? Because it's it's meant to be like a Commodore sixty four, uh, you know, text adventure. Yeah, with, and there's a YouTube version of it as well, right? That's right. Yeah. Well, the, the YouTube version. It's very easy to become a floating head on YouTube. All you need to do, and this is what I did, uh, you sit on an exercise trampoline in the middle of your kitchen, uh, far enough away from the wall that nothing can really be seen, and then you put a lava lamp behind your video camera. So there's just a little bit of red, and then you hold your laptop underneath you, uh, which just provides just a little bit of pale light, and then you get the blackest pair of jeans you have because you lived in Australia and you didn't own a scarf because you didn't need to, and you wrap that around your neck, and you will be a floating head, my son. <laughs> that and- is such a crushing, crushing ruin of the, the magic there. Uh, I will say, just while we're here, if you want to talk about a crushing ruin of the magic, there is a uh, an Easter egg. In in the darkroom YouTube game because the night okay the nice thing about filming it that way is that I'm touring constantly so I was able to keep making darkroom stuff wherever I was in the world ah, and good. and there's one where I I walked out of a I'd been in a cupboard in Singapore and I opened the cupboard door and suddenly all this light streams in and I walk out and I'm just a guy with grease paint on his face and a pair of jeans wrapped around his neck who doesn't realize his video camera's still on. And, you know, <laughs> and, so, and I just look down and go, oh, you've won. And I still get, um, you know, I still, I still get lovely, lovely emails from people who are going, oh, does this mean I won? And then I send them back a lovely email going, no, no, not at all. Get back in there, you know, God. You know, because it makes no logical sense. Yeah, oh, look, oh, suddenly I'm just a bloke in a cupboard. What, wouldn't that answer, you know, uh, wouldn't there be more questions to answer? Goodness me, you know. <laughs> so that's that's a lot of fun. But, yeah, the, um, in, in the live show, uh, we, we received a graphical upgrade last year and just decided that the guy had a body and uh, his body is this uh, futuristic fetish armour. 
and uh, there's no there's no explanation as to why the floating head now has a body. But then people who come and see the show live are principally concerned in figuring out why I keep calling them Darren. So that's uh, that's a fine and abiding mystery. And then. Well, actually, to be fair, the people who do come to the show who actually notice the outfit are usually the people who get a real kick out of the outfit. So, <laughs> it's kind of funny. Well, this is a, a remarkable way for any any man to spend his time, John. So Thanks, let's man. let's work up to this moment. So sure, sure. <laughs> uh, this is this is about video games. This is about how video games have shaped your life, and clearly mm. they've had a profound effect. Yeah. So what was, if you can remember, your very first experience of a video game okay now that's a good question because um i'm i'm fairly certain okay it was oh i wanted to say that it was the new zealand story do you remember that i do yeah i do terrific game yeah very very charming story of a tiny orange bird flapping about and doing nothing particularly dynamic as i recall i didn't know it was a bird until maybe about 10 years ago yeah, yeah, I, I thought it was a rubber duck. That's what I thought it was about, and it and it stayed, it stayed in my mind as one of those uh, like totally inexplicable memories that you you thank God are actually you know just pleasant things and not traumatic, you know like you turn to your mother and you're like what was wh- where were we the time that there was the yellow bird and jumping over the blocks and, <laughs> it's and like you know, you're not sure if you want to pull on that thread because well, exactly what's gonna right. what's it gonna reveal. Yeah, you know, and your mother's, you know, looking at you like, what? There was never any yellow bird. But hang on, wait, how old do you think you were? We left you with our friends for a weekend. What? You know, so uh, fortunately, nothing quite like that. And the only memory that I have of being left with my mother's friends is that (laughs) my dad's friend Jeff had a pornographic calendar right about the time I hit puberty. So that was well-timed. Excellent. Yeah, a lot of lot of suspicious uh, suspicious extra trips to the bathroom that weekend, I tell you. Yeah, in the bathroom? Or did you just steal it? Uh, no, oh god, there was no stealing it. This was this was back in the days of physical pornography. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't fathom what the, what this thing was. I just, I just remember just constantly being like, oh, must, uh, oh, you know, must excuse myself. Like the poor bastard probably thought I had bowel cancer or something. Oh, oh, he's only eleven. Oh, poor little oh. tyke, he's gonna die soon. I, I, I'm fairly certain he knew what I was doing. It, it, oh god, it doesn't matter. I met his wife. I think he'd be happy. Anyone had ejaculated at any time in his house. <laughs> anyway. Um, I was fairly certain it was that, but then there were other other experiences. Like uh, I, I distinctly remember uh, being made to play Wolfenstein 3D when I was eight. Uh, by being made a, to play it. Yeah, I was eight eight years old, and by a grandfather who ha- I I later found out this was the grandfather who hadn't actually served in the Second World War, but he was really excited uh, by this game. And at, at age eight, I mean, it's it's it was bloody terrifying and. I remember, like, actually, this this was one of the ones of my mother having to piece together what I was talking about. You know, I go home like, yeah, and then we went into a blue room and it was full of the Nazis. And my mother went, who? <laughs> who is it? What? The nuts? What did they look like? Oh, the uh, brown. Um, the Nazis? What? You know, that was a... That was a hell of a thing. I, this I is like- a, a a first for the show, John. Like your yeah. your grandfather introduced you to yeah. Wolfenstein. That is I'm- that's amazing. Yeah, he, he's, he, look, I was about to say that he's not well, but then I realized that what I was hunting for was the phrase, I hope he's not well. He, he was a <laughs> horrible bastard. I mean, even, even that, you know, even the idea of let's play a video game. Like, I know he had Commander Keen on there. 
You know, he had all this stuff from Apogee, but it was just, oh, we're gonna we're gonna sit down now. We're gonna shoot some crouch. That's what we're gonna do. The horrible, horrible bastard. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I, there was that. But I think my most abiding memory uh, of of like a really early time of playing a video game was again, again, the mother's the mother's parents. Uh, this the mother's parents. What? No, no, no. The mother's friends. And what a strange, strange Freudian slip that was. Um, friends of <laughs> yeah, it's, it's totally inexplicable. Um, <laughs> friends, fr- friends of my mother and father <clears throat> who either had teenage sons who it'd be like, okay, well, we're all just going to go outside. And given I'm now 30, I understand what they were going outside for. And I pride myself that what I go outside for at parties is significantly more interesting than what my mother and father used to, which was to go outside to get away from me, drink some wine and discuss theology. That was their thing. Um, whereas I... Uh, You're painting such an elaborate and fascinating yeah. picture oh, of your well, youth. Well, well, that's very kind. Uh, it's, it's, it, it's just what happened, being told to you in a deep, resonant voice. Um, what? Yeah, and and then like I remember like being left with some guys, and they had a Mega Drive, a Mega Drive One, and uh, you know the original Sonic the Hedgehog and Columns and Altered Beast, and it had all just been rented from the local video store, and this was this was cutting edge at the time. Rise from your graves, you know all of that. So I remember good. Being, yeah, I, was abs- I mean, terrible, like ac- actually, you know, a oh. terrible, terrible game, but so exciting at the That's time. Complete shit, you know, ter- uh, it is, it's it's an appalling game. And it, and it comes right at the time when Sega had that weird Greco-Roman fetish that lasted 10 minutes, you know, where they're like, oh, no, this this is the future right here. Columns, <laughs> there you go. Oh, you know, like the, the only thing, like Tetris... The, the reason that Tetris is charming is because Tetris is a Soviet man's idea of fun. You know, we're, we're just going to stack the blocks and we're going to keep doing it until we can't stack anymore and now it's over, right? You know, the, the, the fantasy of Tetris is that the work would ever be done. You know, whereas the... Um, I just remember Columns and, and it being like, oh, okay, so this is like, you know, some strange pipe music and then it... it it came round all the way to Altered Beast. We're like, okay, so w- w- Zeus, really? This is a. I don't recall there being werewolves or werebears or were dragons in Greek mythology There's whatsoever. There's a bear. I forgot about the bear. Yeah, the the blue you turn into the, the bear. The bear's the best thing, but of course, when you're a kid and you've just played a round of Sonic the Hedgehog, when the blue bear turns into a ball when it jumps, you presume that means it's invincible, and then the teen- <laughs> then the teenage boys get upset because you died and you're all taking turns, you know. So. Yeah, and then they beat you, <laughs> beat you roundly. Um, yeah, so there's definitely that, and we spent a lot of time. My dad's mate Roger had a uh, oh hello, um, he had a a Sega Master System. Sega, there I, I I defaulted to the original Australian pronunciation of Sega, which is Sega. And I, 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 well, a friend of mine was on the show quite recently, and he said yeah. he thought it was Sega until quite recently. I was like, how, how on earth could you think that? Because I they know. literally pronounce it at the start of most of the games. Oh, but they pronounce it incorrectly. Well, clearly, they, yeah. They don't, they don't know. They don't understand that, that it's, it's just an acronym. It just means service games. You know, come on. Uh, the And it's a Hawaiian company. Why are you pronouncing it like it's a Japanese word? It isn't. Uh, I Well, look, my reasoning was that at the start of all, all those Sonic the Hedgehog games, where what what you all heard was Sega, right? Mm-hmm. My mother and I, and everyone I went to school with, 
legitimately heard Sega. And I just think that somewhere in the harmony, just, you know, maybe a little bit lower down, there's someone mispronouncing it. <laughs> and that's what we defaulted to. Also, all of the advertising for it back in the day in Australia said Sega. It was all Sega, Sega Mega Drive, Sega Mega Drive, the Sega Mega Drive. We're checking out this for the Sega Mega Drive. So, you know, but there we go. But it took, you know, it, it took years for anyone to actually call it the SNES where I was from. People used to call it the SNES. Yeah, everyone, that's a, that's a British thing as well. Everyone called it the SNES. Oh, they did. Okay, that's yeah, good. Yeah, that's, that's good to know. Well, Not everybody, but I certainly did and my yeah. peer groups. Um, th- this is, what, all what, the good people, all the All right. the best people, clearly, all the correct people. Yeah, no Nazis here. Just the, <laughs> no just, Nazis. Just the best people calling it SNES. I'm, I'm really impressed is maybe the wrong words, but mm. because you're like, you know, you're, you're 30, you said, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So most of the people I've had on the show have been kind of in that sort of age range, like my sort of age, I'm 34. So the, the trajectory and their, their passage through games is very similar because there was, you know, there's only so many games that came out every year. Yeah, but yeah. you're the first person who kind of had games not thrust upon them but like you you were introduced to games by adults which has not happened at all everybody else you know has formed their relationship with games and then their parents like i suppose like Mm. that's interesting enough but nobody that you know whose parents have said i'll play this this is good or this is fun Mm, or you know we can kill nazis here yeah yeah, here you go you know that's that's the idea here in the bunker and i specifically remember yeah he, he had a bloody saved game in that level which is all hitler you know, you know the one where it's all floating, <laughs> Hitler's floating towards you, and then he comes out as the robot. Absolutely bloody terrifying, you know. And of course, the the down. Yeah, well, look, there's a lot of downside to it. I nearly said downfall and made what would almost be a pun. Um, my, I you know, because I, I often wondered because I, I distinctly remember having a conversation with my young cousin Daniel, and Daniel's two years younger than me, but that's sufficient reason to patronise anyone the length of their entire lives, and. Daniel and I were talking, and at, at the time, he and his mother were on a very, very big UFO kick. You know, they were completely... He had one of those, <coughs> you know, the government is lying to you magazines. Well, it was, was the, the 90s, I assume. Yeah, so, you know. exactly. You know, and, and these magazines were available at newsagents, you know, like, like all good uh, seditious literature, you know, available for a $9.99 <laughs> subscription. And... Uh, he he was going on about because he, he was because I'd come from Western Australia. He lived in uh, New South Wales, and and he felt that I, as a stranger coming into his turf on a sort of annual annual basis, um, was was dissing him and uh, and all of New South Wales because I was just going, well, this is bullshit. You know, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> you know, why are you really? Oh, you you think you saw a UFO to Jesus Christ! You know, I'm like, this is insane. And then in the middle of it. I distinctly remember because he was talking about how UFOs were the scariest thing in the world and, and all of this, you know, like, yeah. and and so I was going, yeah, well, have you heard about this Adolf Hitler? And they're both, <laughs> he, he's eight, <laughs> right? Because by this time I was the ripe old age of 10. He's eight, right? And then his bloody sister's about five. And I'm like, because I, I, I've been trying to piece this together for years because I don't know how it happened. But I'm fairly <laughs> certain that what went on was my mother got wind of what uh, what I'd been doing like when I played Wolfenstein 3D. And she and my, she and my father had bought a bunch of, um, bunch of encyclopedias for me when I was a kid, and, you know, which was at, at that time. So I'm fairly certain that what would have happened is mum would have been quite perturbed 
by what had been going on. And then I would have, you know, having now that she'd pronounced the word correctly, I'd have gone over to the index until I could find <laughs> the word that was most like what she'd said, right? And then I'd found it. So I realised, like, at about age 10, I'm just, you know, it's, it's bloody Christmas. I'm sitting there with my young cousins <laughs> and I'm being like, now, look, let me tell you about the Holocaust. And, <laughs> and you know, I'm like, just that moment of going, oh, you know, I'm like, because at, at least... At least, you know, the way that I found out about that hideous trauma didn't involve, you know, a family member was killed or all the family members were killed. It was just the work of a sort of clueless, selfish prick who had a pretty powerful 486 at the time going, <laughs> oh, I can't possibly think what would go wrong here. There you go. <laughs> that, that, like, that's insane. That That's the equivalent of, like, playing Zelda and then yeah. getting an encyclopedia and finding out Ganon was real. And he yeah. killed six no, million Jews. Exactly. That's fucking exactly right. <laughs> that's a fantastic analogy. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if it wasn't for that plucky young allied soldier, always, <laughs> always wore green, didn't talk too much. You know? Oh, jeez. That's yeah. horrendous. Well, absolutely. Because, like, what... Okay, and, and this this is something as well. Like, when, when I hear... Okay, that... Because really, uh, if you're not... Okay, if you're not involved with... Um, like you know with with like parenting or things like that i i don't have any kids i'm not i'm not going to have any children i don't care um i don't i don't want them i can't at the moment i'm having a wonderful time i can't provide a life that a child would enjoy in <laughs> any way you know like every every time my wife and i think about the idea of having children i just sort of look at the amount of stuff that you know is around our house that the child could choke on, and I'm like, wow, I'd be really angry if a child slobbered on that, you know, rather than, oh no, my imaginary son has died, oh dear, you know, like, and you know, as, as he as he he's chokes, touching my minifigs. Well, that's the one, yeah, you know, as he chokes, I'm just glaring at him, going, I told you it was collectible, I told you, you know, uh, but the uh, yeah, like like the the idea of you know like that that I get on Facebook periodically from people who aren't even parents, but they're just sharing various. Oh, it's a picture with a caption. Yeah, that's not a meme necessarily, but oh, that word means that now, doesn't it? Mm. Um, th this idea of oh, you know, parents can't control what their children consume, and you know the thing is, I I can completely see that because all it took was just you know one half an hour with you know with the computer, and then you know. It, then it stays in your mind because you're a kid. You go back home, you get out the encyclopedia, and suddenly, you know, you've gone all the way from the first first-person shooter to Belson. <laughs> Which is not, you know, not a great day. Oh, dear. That is but, insane. Uh, oh, that that's it, you know. And, and you know, but it's like, uh, but it, it is also interesting to note that when I played Altered Beast, I was angry because what they were doing wasn't consistent with the mythology, with Greek mythology, which I'd read a bit of at all, like in any way, you know, and I was, I was really bothered by that. And the same, the same way that, I mean, I, I got over it by the time that I played the Bitmap Brothers Gods and here's this guy who's apparently Heracles and I was just sort of delighted that it was spelt as Heracles instead of Hercules. And it's like, that, that was the sort of child that I was, you know, picking up little details and using them to find out really horrifying dangerous things. <laughs> but then also, also just getting, you know, a little bit of a jolly because I'm like, ah, Heracles, that's right, because he's, you know, like he was named after Hera even though he, she wasn't his mother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, I mean, to be fair, as much as, you know, 
you're not particularly interested in being a, a parent. Your parents would have been, I imagine, very proud of that. If they're the type of parents that would buy you encyclopedias, they'd be thrilled mm. that you'd be scoffing at the at yeah. Sega's interpretation of Greek mythology. Oh, they they were. They were very they were very proud of um, of things like that. And you know, I was wheeled out periodically as a party favour. <laughs> for their friends, which I realise must have been just tremendously boring for their friends. You know, go go on, John, tell us tell us again. <laughs> you know. Tell us again about Leader and the Swan. You know, come on, tell us again. You know, that kind of thing. I'm waiting so. for that actually, because this is like um slight tangent, but a lot of like being the age I am, a lot of my friends are all having kids and stuff. And I've, I've yet to reach the stage where, I, I don't know if this even happens anymore, where kids get wheeled out at a party mm-hmm. being like, you know, tell them a joke or something. Because that was one of my pervading memories of youth is being called up to the front of the room to tell jokes. And they were yeah. often like horrifically racist or in bad taste because I was about <laughs> five or six. <laughs> and only like literally about 10 <laughs> years later, I'm, I'm thinking about like what I said. It's like, Jesus. That yeah. is that that isn't cool at all. What I yeah. just did. I like I like the fact that you go. Oh, they were horrifically racist because I was five or six. Oh yeah, the most racist ages. You know, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's when that's, they're at their worst. No, that was oh, purely that. That tell, is. No, uh, I tell you what, kids are so tolerant from one to four, but five and six, those <laughs> are the dangerous years. You know, they start marching in formation. They spend a lot of time on internet forums. They can't spell. Uh, yeah, no, I, I understand because you, you, you'll have just go, you'll have recited whatever jokes you. Yeah, absolutely, told. whatever I've been hearing. And this was like you know mid '80s, so it's before yeah. before alternative comedy and stuff. I'm still thinking of like you know the the comedians on ITV oh. or something. Horrendous. Although to be fair, I don't know if I can think of anything in the world sadder than a five year old trying to bust out some alternative comedy. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> any, anyway, so Fatcher, Fatcher was doing like oh good. <laughs> The five-year-old's doing satire, you know. I don't. I oh, did God. do a pretty good Rick Mail impression as a child. Oh, that, did that, you? That was that was part of my my repertoire. Oh, that's very good. Uh, yeah. it, ma- it literally makes me want to turn inside out with embarrassment when I think about it. But uh, yeah, which is a very good way to start off being Rick Mail. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. Oh uh, wow. So where, like, where did you go from there then? So you've clearly had all these I had, intense I had all formative experiences. So when did you kind of take ownership of it and be like, no, I love games. Well, I, I don't know, man, because, uh, I, I, I don't know, I, I would define it as I love particular games, but then it, it's clearly become something of an unconscious thing because it went, <clears throat> as I remember, because uh, we, we had a pretty good PC, we had a, a, a ripe old Pentium 1, and that, uh, when, in which my mother and I got in 1997, and when we got that, that opened up a whole new sphere of things. So did you never have, like, a console? You never had, like, a mass system oh, or a Mega oh, Drive or oh, anything? Oh, no, you, you wait. You wait. Okay, I, okay. Because what I, what I was going to say is that I, like, because I, I don't know. I, I'm not going to swear fealty to any art form, <laughs> you know, like, at all, especially not gaming, which... Oh, no, you shouldn't. <laughs> Absolutely. Nobody should ever do that. <laughs> just because like. when, um, you know, like, whenever... Oh God! Whenever the debate about when are video games art, you know, comes up, everyone who answers is wrong. You know, the it's like that line from War Games: the only correct, the only way to win is not to play. You know, because are video games art? Yes, obviously, most things are. Let's go. You know, we'll yeah. do something. Somebody make a really good game. Uh, but no, I had I had a Mega Drive, which I, I loved. The Mega Drive. I had my, and then I lent it to my friend Alistair who uh, lent it to his then-girlfriend, and then they broke up, and we never saw the Mega Drive again. Never let it be said that you can't be the child in someone else's divorce. <laughs> um, 
but they, but he lent me uh, he because he swapped it. Uh, you know, in a loan for his Dreamcast, which I still have, which you know, great. Um, you swapped a Mega Drive for a Dreamcast. Everyone, look at the time the Dreamcast was on its way out, and everybody remembered how much fun the Mega Drive was. Um, so I did quite well, and also, you know, That's he a had hell a, of a switch. Hell yeah! I mean, he, well, to be fair, you know, the one Sonic game that he had on his wasn't anywhere near as good as the three I had on mine. But nevertheless, uh, we had. <clears throat> let's see, we had the Mega Drive. Then we had the Nintendo 64, a fabulous, fabulous console. Uh, my mum, I, I distinctly remember, that was it. Mum let me, oh, that was it. She let me have one of the cartridges from the 64 before she gave me the 64. Like, because it, it, it was just a, um, it, I, I was severely anxious about going to school camp for two weeks. Uh, what, is that like a summer camp sort of thing? Um, well, not a summer camp. It was what what they would do periodically at, at the school that I went to. <clears throat> when I say periodically, there was like this one set time they would do this, is they'd send us on the Outward Bound camp, which was this um, survivalist piece of crap. Just, you know, we're going to get a whole bunch of boys who don't like each other at the best of times when they're forced to wear ties and socks, and we're going to send them out into the bush, and uh, I'm sure nothing will go wrong. And what had happened was my father died in 1996. And so for a while, I don't, for whatever reason, like while, while I ended up being very, very cold with people, which was hysterically funny for a long time, to me anyway, um, it did mean that when I, when I went places that I didn't go to, you know, like didn't, didn't want to be at and I couldn't, couldn't leave, mm-hmm. it, was, it was usually a pretty kind of <clears throat> just, oh, fuck. You know, just constantly homesick, like, is my mother going to die? You know, that was the, the nature of that. Of course, at the time, uh, the internet didn't exist, so I didn't have a blog about it or, a, you know, like people weren't giving me the thumbs up underneath it and really reaffirming this behavior. <laughs> instead, instead, I got the, the opposite side of it, which is, um, you know, the school going, look, we're going to just send you out into the fucking bush and uh, it is going to be full on Lord of the Flies, which it was. Um, but my mum just went, I, cause, oh God, for a, for a brief while, cause, cause she suffered hideously. Absolutely. Once, like, how, how old were you when all this happened? Oh, I was 10. I was 10 when That's he died. That's awful. Uh, yeah. Well, it's the 20th anniversary this year coming up. Uh, you know, wow. Well, maybe we'll have a big reunion concert. Oh, the main member won't be there anyway. Um, you know, <laughs> I'm happy with that joke. You fuck off. Now, I didn't. I didn't quite know how to react. I was like, "Do I laugh? No, I don't know." My dad's oh, no, dead as well, so it's totally fine. Oh, oh like hey. I, I, I'm, I'm allowed to sort of yeah, yeah. not dead feel dad, terrible about that. Dead snap, boom! There you go. <laughs> dead dad club. Yeah. Ooh, hey guys. Yeah. Wow. Let's let's go down to Fringe where it's become a cliche. Uh, the that that I will I will just say that there's something I, I intensely love about Scottish arts critics because a lot of um, yeah, a, a lot of – for your listeners, if they don't know, a lot of comedians go to the Edinburgh Fringe and they decide that they're going to eulogise. And it's most commonly their dead father. Like, for, for whatever, dads die earlier uh, statistically and it upsets a bunch of comedians and then they decide that they're going to really exercise their demons via an hour of comedy. And this, what I really love about Scottish arts journalists is that they're so wonderfully um, jaded 
And to the point that if you start going on about your dead father, they're like, oh, well, this better be particularly moving. <laughs> you know, like, oh, we've all got a dead dad, mate. Oh, you know, my father's alive, but oh, he's dead on the inside. You know, and it's it's fabulous. fabulous I don't think see. that's um, yeah. purely relegated to Scottish arts critics. I think that's uh, that that's prevalent across the country. I don't. I don't know. Um, well, I, I I can particular. I can say that it's not. It's not in Australia. If you bust out a dead, if you say, if you can wield a dead parent with any aplomb in Australia, all that critical acclaim can be yours. Um, <laughs> which, of course, is not necessarily why you're doing it. But God Almighty, you know, it's there's there's really something um, something that that moment where you're like, what, what, my grief isn't worth four stars. Fuck you. <laughs> you <know>? um, <laughs> anyway. So, something or other. Oh yeah, so I was I was being sent to this camp, and mum mum for a while kind of was just as, as people do. They just seek any any particular guru or any form of guidance, you know, when they when they've suffered terribly. And so for a while there was this. She was on a kind of motivational lecture kick, and so it was just things like go out there with an open mind, and pretty much any time I did anything with an open mind, it ended up with disaster. Uh, but but bless her. Then she then she she spoke my language because she went. Oh, you know, well I'll get you that Nintendo you've been wanting if you'll just go on this thing. And I went. You know, I went down, and you know they they didn't beat the shit out of me. There was a kid who had both of his parents dead. They kicked the fuck out of him. <laughs> you know why wouldn't you beat? Who an suffered orphan? the most? Yeah, who who's going to stop you? Beat the orphan. Get him. Get him. You know and. He he ran off and um oh god yeah he he ran off and uh, and fact attempted suicide, which was handled with all of the delicacy in the world by the attending teachers, and you know as ch- I like I distinctly remember like because once word got around that he tried to slash his wrist with a butter knife, it, it's interesting <laughs> yeah like, the first I'm so of, sorry for that poor kid if he's listening. I fucking know and the first piece of info that got passed around everyone was it's just kids going a butter knife that's not gonna work. <laughs> You know, whereas no one was disturbed by the ideation of it at all. Every like, meal from then on, people are handing him the knife across oh, the table oh, and stuff. There you go, mate. You know, maybe you want to put some jam on that bread, eh? You oh, know, kids are the worst. Oh, mate, the teachers were the worst. He didn't. They didn't send him home. Oh Christ! You know? the, the closest thing that they did, right? The closest thing that they did was we had to do a team building exercise where you had to jump over a really high post, right? And and you could do that if other people helped. And it got down to him and I were the last two people and I got sent to help him and they, they pulled him over and then I just look I just went, fuck it, and I walked under the thing, right? And I remember the teachers being quite annoyed by that, but it was just like, look, <laughs> come on, let's go home. And then some bloke found a really big stick that had a fork on it, so a big old Y-shaped stick, mm-hmm. right? And then they just pinned the orphan kid to the ground by his neck. Oh! Well, the teacher clapped and laughed and thought it was just wonderful because he was being involved. It's like, you've got no oh, idea. God. Yeah. Are you just clutching this cartridge to your chest the whole time? Yeah, thinking, just like, oh, it's all going to be like, okay. Yeah, it was just, just that moment, I'm going to go home and I'm going to shoot a lot of people. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I know. I'll tell, I'll tell you this just because it's my abiding memory of this camp. And then I can tell you what, what happened the minute I got home. Um, which was just gorgeous. So I'd <clears throat> when when I'd been given the cartridge, my mum walked in on me in my room, trying to slot it into the Mega Drive, and she was so excited by the idea that that would work, 
Like she, she really liked that idea because it probably meant that she was like, oh, I could just take the console back, get the money. Yeah, you know, like you know, but of course it it didn't work. But it was one of those moments of going, well, this is worth a try. Let's let's just see if you know if the the enemies of Sega and Nintendo can coexist peacefully. Um, but as the as the camp wore on, I I and this orphan kid we ended up marching. We, there was a lot of marching, and um, very very large heavy packs. And whilst you know this this works for people who want to join the military. And you know, actually, to be fair, carrying carrying those packs, I see why people join the military. It's to be shot so they don't have to carry the pack in. <laughs> and we're we're walking along, and we had to walk along this beach. And this this was a day where we discovered that mud could be something that could go up to your waist or your neck. Uh, so a big big old day, and it's raining, and we spent hours trying to cross an inlet on these various. Um, Oh god, these fucking rubber dinghies! And I went completely batshit and started hitting someone with an oar. And I wasn't stopped, you know, like, oh, my God. And we ended up, me, we're all marching along this beach. And me and the orphan kid are at the back and we're going along. And we eventually fell, right, just, just go on, go on without me, all that. <laughs> and I became aware that there was something on the beach with us. And I looked, it was a dead dolphin. We had, we had walked... And until we had fallen next to this dolphin that had had its nose ripped off by sharks or something, and it was just dead on the beach. And you just, the moment as a boy that you see a dolphin and it's dead, and you're like, fucking hell, even the dolphins. It's <laughs> That's over. like if that had been in some sort of art film, some critic would be like, that was a bit heavy handed. Oh, exactly <laughs> right. No. Well, well, yeah, well, it'd be a bit heavy-handed if the camera would very slowly zoom into the dolphin's eye and with one iota of moisture that could be seawater or could be a tear, it cries. You know, <laughs> but, but as it was, I can tell you, I mean, it was fly-blown and black. The corpse was black. Oh, Christ. Clearly, clearly a dolphin and, you know, being eaten from, you know, maggots and all this and just fucking hell. And that summarised that two weeks was that... <laughs> These, this, you know, the nature's most majestic animal is dead, and it's here for you to look at, little boy. And uh, then I went home, and I found out that my mother had managed to, I, and I don't know how she did this, but she had found some Star Trek material, just like curtain material. Yeah. And I and I came home, and I had curtains that were the Starship Enterprise. And it was just wonderful, and I and I had a bedspread that was the same thing, and that was all new, and it was just the most wonderful thing. Oh, that to, is amazing! Oh, fantastic! I mean, really good. And then uh, out came the, uh, you know, out, out came the old uh, the old Nintendo sixty four. We got right into Goldeneye. That was the game that was packaged with it. And, and it was, did you play with your mum? You keep saying we, so did you play oh, together? Yeah, we, yeah. Oh yeah, well we wouldn't play Goldeneye together, but mum mum was a very useful hand. Um, for advice with games like uh, playing Sonic the Hedgehog 2 you're, you, you get conditioned to think that every single loop uh, just works on its own so that once you're, once you're in there at a particular speed you're just going to keep going but in about level 5 there's an area where the loop just sends you just into the ground and I couldn't and it, it wasn't breaking through the ground and I didn't know what to do because I was like no no I've pressed down and see I should be going straight through. And my mother went, just press down again. That was the thing. And it worked. It was fabulous. And that, that, to be fair, that was the last time that mum practically solved any technical problem uh, <laughs> in, in, in our family at all. Uh, she was also, 
<clears throat> I, we, we must have been the only family, uh, the, at least to the best of my knowledge, that loved Castlevania 64. We were really big fans of that game. And I remember mum looking at me playing as this little girl who was shooting fireballs out of herself and she was just, you know, just running everywhere. And because there's a time limit in Castlevania 64, like you can only do it in this many days or else Dracula wins. Mum, mum just looked at it and she went, doesn't she ever get tired? <laughs> and I thought that was great, you know, because it, it meant that mum had so invested in this, you know, and the plight of this little girl. And yeah, we yeah we used to we used to do a lot of stuff like that together. She was never good. Uh, Mum couldn't handle the computer. Like if something went wrong on the computer, that was that was the end of that. <laughs> you know, like oh, she, you know, she was using it as a word processor, and <clears throat> I was playing strategy games and having a wonderful time. Yeah, no, look, huge, you know, hugely varied experiences. Then after that, when I you know moved home. Yeah, you know, you know, moved out the first time. We got a PS2, fantastic console, possibly the best console ever made. <clears throat> then a 360, hey! And then I vowed I wasn't going to join the current generation of consoles until something good happened. And lo and behold, it's arrived. It's got a PS4. And yeah, I mean, console gaming. I've really committed to strategy gaming on the PC. I used to, I used to love, but I didn't, <laughs> I didn't like really anything. I, I, I jump on bandwagons too late. So it's things like Command and Conquer, what a great game. And by that point, everyone's on Red Alert. And then I get to Red Alert, and by that point, everyone's discovered wanking or something, so they stop playing. Uh, <laughs> oh, the is, classic narrative. Oh, the cl- oh, straight up, you know. I mean, God, well, if you're stuck around until Red Alert 3, it's Tim Curry as a Russian, you know. I and mean, You may as well go wank. Uh, the, <laughs> well, the, so was there, like, did you have... Tim Curry as a Russian again, to be fair, Hunt for Red October. Yep. Yeah. Did you have, like... Uh... Did you sort of create a circle of friends around games? Was that something that that kind of bonded you to other people? Well, no, no. I mean, games were just taken as something that you did. Yeah, every everyone, everyone did that. Like the 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 first time that like a game was a like a really important part, like an integral part of the friendship. There, there were two. There were two people who were like that. Uh, one was my mate Tom, who I love like a brother. I've known Tom since I was ten, um, and Tom and I. He'd come to my house and we would play the PC games together mostly. And <clears throat> we also, actually, he and I used to play um, WCW NWO Revenge on his 64. And we found one of the out greatest the, games of all time. Oh, it's incredible. And we found out that one of the best things that you can do is you can get Buff Bagwell uh, on, the, on the ground. And anyone who doesn't know who that is, you just Google Buff Bagwell and you'll see why you'll be wanting to hit this man. Um, Tom... Tom actually doesn't have a sadistic bone in his body, whereas I am a sort of a borderline psychopath. And, um, you know, I, but I feel bad about it. You know, come on, it's all right. <laughs> yes, 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 the puppy's dead, but you never loved it properly. Anyway, <laughs> the, um, what we used to do is we would set up handicap matches, which were him and I versus the computer. <laughs> And we particularly hated Buff Bagwell because <laughs> he just had this in his in his Nintendo sixty four form. His eyes are permanently shut because he's smiling in this ridiculous cheesy manner. And we we just found out that you can just get him on the ground and you've got a trash can. Your friend's got a chair and you just both keep hitting him, and it's really satisfying. And we loved we loved doing that. But mostly he and I we'd play strategy games, and Tom always had more patience than me. And of course, patience pays off in a strategy game so 
we'd play Caesar 2 together and he'd create this fantastic Roman garrison and province and all of that. And, you know, if I did it, then all the houses would get plagued really quickly or something. Or And we used to play Deadlock, which is the single, like, even though I've just spent the weekend playing XCOM 2, um, Deadlock is still my favourite turn-based strategy game. I've never even heard of it. Oh, no, it's, it's incredible. You know, it's, um, what is it, five alien races, have found this one particularly desirable piece of real estate uh, in the form of a planet called Gallius Four, and so they they assemble their four fleets around it, and there's an agreement that uh, four you know four teams of settlers will go down, and it's either whoever can create the most functional cities, or who can obliterate through military might the other people in the game and uh, it's incredible like you can have a planet that's as large and landlocked as you want or well not landlocked but like absolutely colossal and you know with all these areas that are next to each other and you must do this you must do this or my favorite which was to make the planet as small as possible and 90 percent water so that every single square of uh, habitation had to be fought for and you you will eventually finish with this mighty nuclear arsenal just totally obliterating this other civilization in the name of justice it was fabulous <laughs> so much fun and <clears throat> and really <clears throat> really funny like but but in a secret way like the the opening of the game I used to I used to tell Tom how depressing I found it because it was this had this really ponderous kind of, you know theme but then when you got into it, you'd, you'd like just looking around the CD, you'd find out that uh, if you wanted to, all of the military's war charge could be replaced with spoon from the tick. <laughs> you know, which, what, what a gift. And, that, and the fact that one of the programmers had a song that he'd written about the game, which was just hidden just on the CD. It's just this acoustic little folk ditty. Fucking funny. It was like, that was great. And the other was my friend Mel who I love, and uh, Mel, Mel played Street Fighter Alpha at a time when Street Fighter 2 was just that really noisy thing that I remembered from the arcade. She had Street Fighter Alpha for the Sega Saturn, Street Fighter Alpha 2, and hoy, yeah, that was fun. Such a beautiful game. Um, have you got a hard eight, John, so I can work towards it if, if you do? A what? A hard eight. Like, is there a time that you have to absolutely oh, from- be finished? Probably somewhere around eight thirty would be uh, pretty good to tap out because after after that the games journalism has to happen. What are you What are you writing about? Uh, XCOM two. It's just that we're um, oh fuck it. Why not? It's a funny story. Uh, we're filming tomorrow, right? And I've whenever I review a game, you you know you want it to be as much in depth coverage as you can, you know without the fact you know, the fact there is no gaming Hunter Thompson because every prick tries to do it, you know I I went to the I went to the thing I had all the drinks you know all that I went you know here's my subjective first you know first person fucking you know account of the game I you know I went to the to a secret um, preview of the game had a fantastic bloody time. And then declared that I needed uh, more, you know, more of that. So I went and I had a fantastic bloody time and I laid my hands upon a preview copy of the game and that was good. I took that took that with me and I've just been on tour, uh, you know, for a week. And 
I, I'm I'm trying to get the game working on my partitioned Mac because I'm like it's going it's going to be okay. It'll run on Windows Seven. Here we go, you know, Windows Eight. Here we go, here we go. And then it turned out that there was a day one Mac release, and I'm like, no, f- f- fuck it. I'm going to get the Mac version, and I get the Mac version. And because it's been a long time between drinks, uh, like setting up my own games, right, on, on my own computer, yeah, uh, that was when I discovered that my graphics card was uh, just slightly off. And so I'm like, oh, you've got to be fucking kidding me. And then I went down. So it it just means that after you know after two really good in-depth sessions i've been i've had this traveling copy and i've been like i've got to get it going got to get it going but it meant that this morning i got off a mega bus at uh 6:30 uh in the morning i went home i put my gear down i stuck around for an hour i turned around i went to the production office and then i played xcom 2 <laughs> <laughs> for a while you know just uh, just racking up those hours and uh, yeah, I mean, a phenomenal, phenomenal game. But I, I yeah, like today, I had to. The the only thing that stopped me playing XCOM two was when I realised that I was starting to lose every single mission because I hadn't slept. So, <laughs> such is the nature of the war against aliens, though, John. Oh, mate, you have to, you have to. But every once in a while, the commander has to say, "Look, if I keep doing this, the troops will die." You know, I must, I must go <laughs> home, and I must conk out for seven hours. Is it brilliant, though? Yeah. Oh, it's fantastic! Absolutely tremendous game. I mean, I'm hoping for some sort of console release towards the end of the year. Oh no, you don't want that. I don't have a good enough computer to play it, so I okay. do. Okay. I've All got, right. I've got a MacBook. It's fine. Yeah. It's not going to play mm. XCOM though. No, well, yeah, you pro, yeah, you'll you'll find your graphics cards going to be if if it's one of the graphics cards that's specified as not working, of which there's about five. Uh, yeah, you're not going to have a good time. No, I mean it looks well fancy. The best yeah. I can do on my Mac is Hearthstone, which is fine. Uh, yeah, no, you're you're right. You're not going to have a nice time. The um, yeah, I tell you what, the preview the the preview systems that they have down at the place where they fucking made it. Oh, hey! oh, it's the single. It's seamless. It's so good. What do you mean? Um, I don't know what you mean. Well, what what I mean is that when I played the game at the studio, right, mm-hmm. the system that they give you to play it on. There, oh, right. Okay. Okay. Right? I see. I of see. Of course, it's the single. You know, it's it's the single best. You know, every texture set to maximum, and everything runs perfectly, and it's just a dream. And then you know, then you you try and put it on your Mac, and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> Damn it's, it. it's, uh, I'm I'm kind of. I don't like the the kind of PC resurgence that we've seen in the last couple of years, because, mm. purely because it makes me once again feel inadequate. And it's it's the exact same. I've got a friend Ben, and uh, when we were teenagers, both really into games, and we had the exact same relationship where I had the bunch of consoles, and he had an amazing PC, and I had a shit PC. Mm. And so I'd go to his house, and he'd just make fun of me and my uh, oh. inferior oh. consoles, and he'd show me like Doom and Quake. Quake yeah. especially, just looking amazing. And then I'd go home and it'd, you know, run like garbage. And yeah. now, like 15 years later, the exact same thing has happened again, where he suddenly sort of rediscovered his teenage self and has the best PC I can imagine. And mm. it's just brilliant. And yeah. Yeah. But I think what you'll find that what he's doing would be, und- would be undermined by the word dork. You know, yes, yes, that is I'm true. Doing- 
uh, there's something about like if history has taught us anything, it's to treat with nothing but scorn anyone who announces themselves as the master race, and that, <laughs> that particularly at at this time for, for PC gamers, because the first, I mean, like 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 all good jokes, uh, it eventually unfortunately gets adapted by the people it's about, and you're like, you know, oh, we're the PC master race, like, oh, your tongue's not even in your cheek when you say that, is it, pal? You know, it's like, oh well. Don't worry about it. My Tom had a Mac, and so <laughs> you know I had this fine PC. But then I'd go to Tom's house, and like <laughs> it was great because there's Tom going, "Yeah, well, you know, this is Marathon, the first person shooter made especially for the Mac." Mm-hmm. I'm going to become a bungee, mm-hmm. you know, and we're going to play Worms. And here's this animation that my father and I have put together, and you know, because it was great. They were doing you know fabulous things on a machine designed to be creative. And then he'd come he around had to, to bring his dad into it just to rub it in as well. Well, oh, come now. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. He, he, Tom had known my dad. So, yeah, but if actually, if Tom had been indulging in that, that would have been some particularly black humor on his yeah. part. Uh, which would have been, actually, to be fair, that would have been very, very, very funny, <laughs> nevertheless. Oh, man. So, where, <laughs> yeah. where did. I, I guess I'm thinking, like, you know, you went into comedy like you started doing stand-up and stuff I so did. yeah yeah like that's obviously not corollary to games so i'm i'm trying to draw parallels which may not even exist between oh. like the types of games that you would have been playing did, did games remain uh, a constant because oh, yeah, one of the things that, that's come that up is stopped. games games books and food and then eventually sex and then that you know that didn't stop either thank god <laughs> <laughs> no, that, crossed, that just that, that's been know. a thing like especially with a lot of devs that I've spoken to, and, and yeah. me as well personally, there was a gap from like 16 to 19 where mm. uh, I, I I sold all of my computer-related stuff to buy an amp and a guitar and start a band, yeah. which right. is a, a similar kind of compulsion to doing stand-up, I, I think, well, uh, especially no, I th- at that age. No, I think I think what you're doing, actually, you know, that actually involved a level of commitment, uh, whereas. Stand-ups... Oh, I gave uh, up at 20, obviously, because... Oh, yeah, it was fine. Who's going to be in a band? And to be fair, if more stand-ups would give up at 20, that'd be great for everybody. (laughs) Uh, You know, uh, the... Like, because a stand-up... I mean, I certainly did. A stand-up makes the mistake of thinking that just by turning up and really, really, really wanting to do it, that they've done it, Right. Uh, the answer, of course, is unless unless it was very very funny, and you know, and, and it, it can't even just be like because you see people who do this right, like when they, when they're starting out, people will look around and go, I don't like. Some people have a very defined idea of what they want to do, but they don't know how to make that happen. And some people will go, I I don't know what I want, but that's working, so I'm gonna do. I'll, I'll do that. And then those guys end up, you know, being pretty generic for a while. And if that's what they want to be, that's all they stay as and, you know, just all things like that. But when I started, thank God, most of my struggles uh, were pretty private. You know, like, I mean, they were noisy. Anyone who knew me (laughs) knew that, you know, like, oh, dear, I think on Wednesday John might have gone on at 11 o'clock at this pub the other night and, you know, he might have might have just completely dejected a crowd, you know, rather than rather than amused or driven to hatred, which is a good thing. Just an audience of people just going, oh, you sad little boy, you must, <laughs> you must leave at once. Good God. <laughs> oh, dear. Have him, 
show him out somebody. Someone give him a pound and, you know, a pat on the back and a ticket home or something. Um, <clears throat> you know, things like that. And, and, yeah, I'm just, like, buying... At least, at least somebody can buy a guitar and then stay at home with the guitar and you know if the guitar's working because <laughs> you can hear it, you know. <laughs> like, whereas, you know, stand-up involves, oh, I went out <laughs> and I did that. And because it's such a... It's become such a sociable art, uh, you just, like, I, I can't handle this. Just, like, people sitting around, like, yeah, just guys who, who are coming into the business and just talking about, oh, comedy. And But what they're talking about, you're just going, oh, just shut up. You did five minutes and it was awful. Go. <laughs> I, don't, I don't give a fuck that Louis C.K. has got a special. Why would I care? My God. I, you know, I play video games. I read books. I watch movies. I have sex. That's the stuff that I like to do. And stand-up comedy is a, a very good way of expressing yourself, right, and a very good way of making a career. But I don't love stand-up. I love what I do, and I love the p- particular people that I really enjoy, if, if, that, if that makes any sense to you. No, it you does, know? totally. I, I mean, it's quite a unique um, what? sort of position for a stand-up to take, I think. I think a lot of stand-ups will come much more from position of... I loved and idolized all of these people and I wanted to be like them. Well, I did, but none of the people that I liked were stand-ups and the people who were stand-ups like, were pretty bad at it. You know, like Spike Milligan's fabulous on the radio. He's hysterical on the radio. And you watch the clips of him doing live performances and very little of it holds up at all. Yeah, you know, that's true. And, well, so much of it doesn't even hold up an anecdote. It's when he's talking about it, and you could like on Wogan or something, and the audience is laughing uproariously, going, "Bullshit! That's no, none of that ever happened." Fuck <laughs> off, nonsense. Um, here's something. Uh, the because I, I can draw, I can draw you. I, I can tell you when the when the gaming and the stand up arrived together. Because um, I used to, <clears throat> from about age fifteen. I used to run around science fiction conventions. I loved, I loved doing those. And these were the, uh, these were the proper five days in the hotel mm-hmm. kind of conventions, you know, with authors and just, you know, room parties and people, you know, like, hmm, let's see, you know, representations of gender in the dystopian works of Robert Heinlein, you know, th- things like that. And, you know, there's some worthy chat and there's some total nonsense and then there's a whole bunch of teenagers running around having a great time. And I was one of the teenagers and it was just, just really terrific. And there was an auction that they used to have, and I wanted to present the auction. And one day I got to, and that was cool. And I did a, I was, I did a panel about Stanley Kubrick at age fifteen because they'd lost a panelist, and um, my another friend called Mel, lovely person, got me on, which was great. And, and that was the first experience of public speaking outside of school. And thank God it was to a really receptive audience. And thank God as well that my mother had taken me to see Eyes Wide Shut because you know. <laughs> I, she was like, oh, you like that Stanley Kubrick? Oh, he's got a movie in there? All right, then. And, you know, my mum took me to this 18-plus movie that was just porn, and then, God bless her, she looked at me in the middle of one of the orgy scenes, and I looked back at her and went, I am so bored. <laughs> and, and she was so happy, you know. And, and anyone who watches Eyes Wide Shut, there's no titillation there whatsoever. It is just three hours of going, he died after this, you say? Really? Because I could have sworn that Stanley Kubrick died in the first <laughs> ten minutes of this film. <laughs> And then, sadly, nobody told the camera operators to stop. <laughs> uh, the so I started doing this stuff at sci-fi conventions, and then there was a um, a gaming and anime convention coming to town, and some friends 
<clears throat> had friends. Where is who, this, by the way? So this I've not in, established this, where this oh, is. Oh, sorry, this is, in, this is in Perth, Western Australia. Okay. And some friends had some friends who were going to be involved organising the cosplay competition. And because I was the only stand-up they knew... Or, so were you doing it that young? Like... Um, well, yeah, yeah. Well, well I, no, I started doing stand-up at age 17 because because um, Mel, this is Street Fighter Mel, tall, thin Mel, a tremendous artist. Uh, Mel Mel thought I should do stand-up and uh, I didn't really want to at all. And then that became kind of one of the defining features of our relationship was that I kept doing it <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I, you know, I got better and better. Did she change her mind and you're like, no, 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 I like it? No, not at all. I never <laughs> liked it. I never liked it at all. I liked it. <clears throat> I liked it around the time that I got fired from my job in two thousand and eight, and then I and I really needed something to do. And by that point, I was starting to get a you know a fairly large amount of work via the stand up. So I liked it the minute it was something I could make money off, and and I liked it. You know, I liked it when I realised that there was more that I could do than just you know be like here I am telling dick jokes or whatever and I like what I do now I think that that's all you know that's all fun it's it's it's, it's very enjoyable there's a real real rush uh, to be taken with connecting that with an audience that are there to see you there's a, a rush you know surprising an audience that had no idea you'd be on and had no idea what you were going to do and when you were done had no idea what you did but they really liked it you know that's cool too that's a lot of fun but <clears throat> Mel got me into stand up and because of that <clears throat> It meant that I got uh, hired to host the cosplay at this anime thing, and then that was just great because people. Okay, and like if if you say that there's not necessarily a defined link between video games and stand up, there's even less of a link between hosting cosplay shows and stand up, but it works because you suddenly have an enormous audience. Uh, which I mean, at the time, I think 500 people were at that first one, which is not a huge crowd. Um, <clears throat> so much fuel for crowd work as well. Oh, that's the thing. It's terrific, you know, and it, and it begins and they're all there to see something happen and whether it's good or whether it's bad, they're there to respond and you learn how to work with that and how to play with that. And this is a crowd that will shout and will heckle, you know, because of course they will. You know, <clears throat> they're anime fans. They're incredibly vocal about everything, you know, online, yeah. offline. Cosplay fans particularly, when they love something, they love it wholeheartedly. And when they hate something, <clears throat> you have to convince them not to scream at the little girl dressed as Pikachu that her tail's the wrong shape, you know, <laughs> which is great. And so I did that, <clears throat> and that meant that I got a job hosting it at, at Wicon, which was uh, Western Australia's best anime convention, and that had this big 3,000-seat theatre. And me and my mate, I mean, it was the best start to every year. You know, we'd do it in January or February and me and my mate Eugene would go out to this 3,000-seat theatre and for three hours, you know, on a Friday and a Saturday, no, sorry, Saturday and a Sunday, host the cosplay. And it was terrific. That's and an amazing start. It was a wonderful gift. Mm. And then uh, I kept doing that and it was at YCON uh, in 2012, February 2012, I had just gone, I'd been to the Edinburgh Fringe uh, three times by that point, done solo shows there. I'd done four solo shows at the Edinburgh Fringe because why Why would you just have one idea that was great when you could have two ideas that were pretty good and stage both <laughs> of them? Uh, you know, it was fabulous. And I had a show called Dragon Punch and Dragon Punch was just a long shaggy dog story about the time I went to a barbecue and tried to punch out my father-in-law, right? And... It, it tied in with Street Fighter, right? 
and it, it was a it was a lovely little show and it had done really well and it picked up some awards at a couple of comedy festivals and I took it to Edinburgh, had a fantastic time, came home and Wycon went, do you want to do that in our 3,000 seat theatre? And of course I did. And so I start doing the show and bearing in mind the show is just pretty much me starting and then remembering things, mm-hmm. right? So it, it, it's like it's like anything I do. This this oh oh fuck this thing yeah anyway you know and and the catchphrase in that show is so I'm at this barbecue because whatever I'm doing and bearing in mind people who've seen me I've got shows that have never finished that I've done right <laughs> like at all uh, I've got shows that my mum at one point just said to me look next year would you just write a show and not just crowd surf right because that's what I did I, I crowd surf on people I do all sorts of stuff you know I once I once upset an entire audience at the Sydney Comedy Store by doing a show that for an hour is just me going, all right, so, yeah, I'm at this orgy, right? I'm just talking about what... And, and people are going, oh, right, right. And then then I, then I went, and we're out of time. And this guy just went, no, what happened at the orgy? And I've gone, good night. And I ran off stage and people chased me. People were genuinely like, I have to fucking know. I have to know what happened, you know, which is a wonderful thing. Anyway, we go to do Dragon Punch at Wycon and... The show is uproarious and people are heckling and I mean one poor girl at one point because I've got a joke in there about there are people who were born at a reasonable time and then there were people born in a period that I like to call ALK which means after Lion King, right? And this one girl just went, what's the Lion King? And oh, come you, on. I know. I know. Now you hear your response there. Now you just got to imagine that there were one thousand nine hundred ninety-nine people <laughs> who all turned on this woman and just went "fuck you," you know. And it was incredible. And that's that's how wild it was. It was people being incredibly vocal about a lot of stuff. And at one point, I just thought because I, you know, it was it was becoming a riot. I was like, I'm going to do this new joke I've come up with. Right, because bearing in mind at the time I was building up to a sequence of doing Hadouken, Hadouken, you know, all this, right? And I was like, I'm going to do that joke I came up with the other day about text adventures and how terrible text adventures were. And I summarized it by going, <clears throat> you know, a text adventure would be you saying, hmm, you know, you are weak to find yourself in a dark room. And then you couldn't get out. And the minute I did that, everybody stopped. And then people started going, I find the light switch. How will you find the light switch? You're in a dark room. You need the light switch to see. Do you see? I see. Bullshit, you see. You're in a dark room, you know. And I got the um, the technicians to turn off all the lights in the house. This wasn't scripted at all. It was just a little joke that started to capture the imaginations of a group of really good, fun, wonderful people to perform to. And I just, in the darkness for about 40 minutes in the middle of what was meant to be an hour-long show, went for two, right, finished with me trying to play Still Alive on banjo and ukulele. <laughs> Why would you have one good idea when you could have two <laughs> shit ideas? <laughs> right. And I did the thing. And by the time I got home, uh, one kid had set up a tribute comic. Uh, another kid had done some fan art of me in the dark room and all of that. And my mate Bob went, "Oh, you've really got to do something with that." So I may I sat on a um, you know an exercise trampoline, made a YouTube game, put that out, and that went viral. And uh, then my friend John went, "Well, that went viral. You should probably do that as a live show." So we, you know, he rigged up a program and gave me a fabulous uh, Microsoft dongle and partitioned my my hard drive on my computer and, uh, you know, I strap an Xbox 360 controller to my chest and 
of an afternoon at the Edinburgh Fringe. I, I go down to a joint called The Hive, Edinburgh's n- number one underage drinking venue, and I go in there and I, I played this game to an audience of four and they they left. We finished after 20 minutes and I turned to my wife and I went, this might be the best idea we've ever had. And lo and behold, the next day, the joint was half full. The day after that, it was full. It just stayed full. And that's how you become the world's only live-action video game is in the middle of a show you improvise a joke and it really catches fire for whatever reason and so that's where i am now and that's why and yeah that's that's exactly it and it meant that in 2013 the final time that i did wycon i went down and i did the dark room uh as a nighttime entertainment in a huge huge audience you know as a 3000 seater maybe 2000 people in there right uh had a wonderful time and because it was my show and I could do anything I wanted, I decided that I wasn't just going to crowd surf, I was going to crowd surf out of the venue. And I jumped and I landed on four tiny Japanese girls who couldn't catch me at all. <laughs> but it was all right because they had some really big boyfriends and then they picked me up and they all, this entire audience, crowd surfed me out of the stairs. And it's on YouTube. You watch the Dark Room uh, Wicon, which is W-A-I-C-O-N. You can see it, and it's the opening sequence. And in the back, you can see Mike Browner, who was the then president of Wycon. When I hit the audience, he just covers his face. Hue <laughs> of fear. And, apparent, and my wife was there, and she told me that um, apparently one of the security guards was about to stop me. And then she went, oh, it's all right, he's insured. And, and they went, okay, <laughs> like, great. <laughs> off, off he goes there. And... Um, Oh, yeah, it was terrific. And then I just, uh, there's no footage of this, but I just stood around in the foyer and hugged uh, this colossal audience goodbye. Must have hugged a thousand people. It was an amazing day. That is a wonderful story. And I think a perfect end to our Mm. chat, John. Well, thanks, man. I mean, and, and like, yeah, well, like so many shows I've done, this this consin- this was <laughs> this was moderately aimless, but there was a lot in it. So, oh no, this is so good. Like, I really appreciate so it. Um, thank you ah, so much. What a pleasure. What what fun. No, it was lovely, lovely to come have a chat. And also, also very lovely to remember. Um, yeah, no, to remember all of that because it's right about this time of year is when we'd have been doing Wycon, or maybe maybe it would have been last week. So yeah, no, lovely, lovely to have. Do you that. feel bad to miss out on it? Have you not found a, a British equivalent? Well, I I do um, I do MCM Comic Con and I do the UK Games Expo and I did um, the NatCon Dysprosium last year and and these these are all. Have you done Game City? Uh, no. Oh, in in Nottingham. In no, Nottingham, no. yeah, you should do no, Game I... City. It's really good. Well, no, I've I've been there. I've been there. I know the guys who run it. We have a wonderful time. I am. Oh, going... Do you know Ian? Yeah, yeah. I yeah, am no, going... Ian's been on the show. He's a good oh, cool. he's a pal. Yeah. Well, hello, hello, Ian. Um, I, I greet you in your past recorded form. And if, <laughs> and if I listen to that episode and he doesn't say hello, John, I'll be very disappointed in the nature of time. Uh, yeah, I... Yeah, well, no, I'm going there. I'm doing... Oh, that's the other thing. Darkroom now tours. So I'm going to uh, going to Nottingham, what, Feb 24th at the Broadway Cinema. So Yeah, do you want to plug anything? You've been <clears> so kind with your time. I feel you oh, should no get worries. something out of it if you'd like oh, to. Oh, thanks very much. Um, yeah, look, go, head over to the johnrobertson.com if you'd be so good, my loves. Uh, most of my UK live dates are on there. If I'm coming to your town, drop on by. If you want to see the dark room, send me a message and, you know, get enough of your friends together and I will come and do the dark room in your town. I've done it, you know, 
so many places. Just It's just wonderful. If you're heading to Edinburgh Fringe, I'll be at Underbelly Cowgate, 8.30 every night, doing The Dark Room, which will be good, and a new show, which will be... I can't actually announce where that's going to be yet, but nevertheless. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and uh, tune in. <laughs> why not? Tune in to Video Game Nation on Challenge TV, uh, Saturday mornings at 10 a.m., or then the repeat at 11 p.m. on Sundays, which, as it turns out, because I didn't know this, we have a subset of fans who only watch the show at 11 p.m. on Sundays and presumed that they were getting an adult edit of the show uh, because it was on late at night and I was saying some really dirty stuff. And so they were like, my God, there's, there's no way that they let that go out at 10 a.m. on a Saturday. I was like, oh, no, they do. It's, it's, it's incredible. I, I love this country. Um, oh, that's amazing. But, yeah, that's, that's what's happening. And, yeah, if you'd be so good, on Twitter, it's Robotron, R-O-B-B-O-T-R-O-N. Thanks, man. Thank you, John. That was wonderful. No worries, Declan. Beautiful. I will definitely be at the show this year. That'd be great. 100%. Drop on in. I will Drop on in. Buy a T-shirt. Good on you, love. <laughs>